Today on Ag News Daily. With the right beneficial microbes in your soil, um, doing the things that you need to help with nutrient cycling, nutrient acquisition, and all that good stuff. Happy Tech Tuesday, ladies and gentlemen, here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. Delaney Howell here, joined by my co-host, Mike Pearson. Mike, how are you doing today? Good afternoon, Delaney Howe. I am uh, good. Good. I just had some egg rolls for lunch, so oh. I'm feeling very multicultural. I got them from a food truck, and the name of that food truck was Big Wang's Chinese Food. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's quite the name. What's making you laugh? I don't know. It just is funny to me. Oh, it's funny. That's, mm-hmm. You think it's funny that you think Asian people's names are funny? No, Delaney? I just, never mind. I'm not even going to go into why I think that's funny. <laughs> I think we all know why it's funny, and that's what makes it funny. Um, but since you're talking about food, this isn't, I mean, it's kind of ag-related very loosely. More so food-related, because I just like to keep up to date on, like, food stuff, because, I don't know, I think it's interesting, but... Do you know what a ghost kitchen is called or what what that is? A, a ghost kitchen? I know a ghost yeah. pepper. No, a ghost kitchen. All right, enlighten me. Okay, so ghost kitchens are apparently becoming very popular, especially in the fast food sector, which is essentially um, a, it's a ghost kitchen because it's basically a restaurant that's just the kitchen. There's no way to do takeout or sit down. And so Wendy's just became the latest fast food to use this quote-unquote ghost kitchen. So they're pairing up with delivery drivers and services such as Uber Eats and DoorDash to be a delivery-only fast food location, which it seems that this largely is the trend that's happening all across the U.S. Fascinating. I'm surprised. I bet that they have them there in Chicago, I would think. I would think so. I don't do much uh, on the delivery side. You know, I live uh, very frugally, mm. so I, you know, eat a lot of my Dinty Moore beef stews, <laughs> which I, I make at home. You know, I slave over my uh, my sauce pot a making my stews. A lot of PB and J's. A lot of a lot of PB and J's. Lately, I've got on a kind of a tuna salad kick. Mm, okay, then. Between some sourdough bread, a little sweet pickle chopped up in there, it's good stuff. Okay, not my first choice, but uh, yeah, I thought that was just really interesting that we're seeing that ghost kitchen thing happening happening everywhere happening all yeah over. it seems weird they wouldn't allow takeout i mean all you need is a yeah. window yeah i guess part of it too with the ghost kitchen is that uh, so i'm not 100 percent sure that it's in all fast food chains but i think part of it too is a ghost kitchen because most of it is just mechanized so most of the food sure. is made by robots or whatever and there are like a couple people in there but it's just a really easy way to have no people in there basically right right labor isn't just a trouble to find in agriculture that's pretty well across the board absolutely it is well while we're talking about food we had a report out from beijing they're you know still uh, still trying to curry favor here in the u.s and, and kind of remind folks that they are a participant in our markets so the uh, Chinese government reported earlier today that they have already purchased 700,000 metric tons of pork and 700,000 metric tons of sorghum from the U.S. to meet demand. Uh, they also say they've stepped in and bought 320,000 uh, metric tons of cotton, 230,000 metric tons of wheat, and 20 million tons of soybeans um, earlier today. They said this at a press briefing. 
And, uh, you know, basically it sounds as though they're, they're trying to let Trump know that they're, they're still in the market. They, you know, they're still a player, even if they kind of backpedaled on when those additional purchases might come over the weekend. Yes, I saw that as well, Mike. And I'm going to kick it back to you. I just saw some breaking news come in here about the EPA and the renewable fuels waiver. So I'm going to read through that article really quick and let you take off with the news. Oh, okay. Yeah, you read through that. And I've got an update on uh, machinery. Um, It was reported earlier today by the Dow Jones that uh, farm leasing continues to be one of the main places we are seeing uh, business grow in new machinery. Uh, John Deere is, of course, the the world's largest manufacturer of farm equipment, and they are really leaning on their financing side over the past few years in order to keep demand for new machinery up. Basically, Dow Jones went through, they looked at transaction records and receipts, and they say that more than one-third of finance purchases of deer, high-horsepower tractors, and construction equipment is being leased to farmers or builders on the construction side. And um, Deere's financing equipment, John Deere Credit, John Deere Financial, is the owner of about 90% of that leased equipment. So it's curious to me that, that Deere has created this closed loop where they're manufacturing the equipment, they're buying the equipment, and then they're leasing that equipment out as a way to keep demand elevated to such a way that they don't have to lay people off and uh, can keep new machinery coming into the market. And I don't think this is going to shock a lot of our listeners, but the leases are typically from one to four years, and uh, that's what they're doing. So Deer isn't the only one doing this. That's who the story focused on, but we're seeing this across the ag sphere. Um, and it's kind of cool. They interviewed a neighbor of mine who uh, who leased from uh, Case New Holland last month. Oh, that's neat. Yeah, yeah. It's good to see Greg getting some press here. He says uh, he's excited to lease because when it gets worn out, I'm going to turn it back and lease another one. Yep. That's probably, I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see how the equipment sector really changes, too, as more of this ride-sharing or sharing platform stuff. Right, and I think we'll probably have to talk to our good friend Casey Seymour over Mm -hmm. at the Moving Iron Podcast to see what this could do for the used equipment market. I think so. I think so indeed. I wonder, you know, they say never to buy a used rental car because, you know, people rent cars and just beat the heck out of them. I wonder if the same thing's going to happen with machinery. Hmm. Yeah, Ted Seifert is is waving his hand. You never want to rent a personal vehicle to Ted Seifert. <laughs> he'll smoke in it. He'll do all sorts of UEs or well, whatever. Smoke the tires and, off. Yeah, that, that's exactly. what he'll do. Exactly. Okay. So what I, do you learn from the EPA there? Delaney? Yeah, let me bring you up to speed. So as we know, the White House has said, blah, 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 they're going to change the way that they do the small refinery exemption waivers and also refiguring in some of that gallon of both biofuel for the ethanol side and the biodiesel side, they're going to try and weave that back in here over the next three years. So today they just released this new supplemental proposed rule that's going to calculate those exempted gallons from the small refinery exemptions from that biofuel mandate and they are starting a comments period on this proposed rulemaking to determine the volume of exempted gallons of diesel and gasoline due to those waivers. So they said they're going to base it on a three-year rolling average, and they are 
basically, according to the release, the proposed adjustments would help ensure that the industry blends the final volumes of renewable fuels into the nation's fuel supply here over the next three, approximately three years. But we really won't see this finalized proposal until, I don't know, I guess the end of the comment period is what they're saying. And Steve Sensky also made comment to reporters that he's not confident we're going to get this in place by November 30th when it needs to be filed, finalized for the 2020 renewable fuel volumes. But he said he will. he's confident that we will see it done by the end of this year. Okay, because comment periods are usually 60 days, so that's, okay. that's still doable. Right. So maybe not doable by November 30th. That's not, I mean, that's less than 60 days away. Right. Yeah, I don't think that could happen. But but by December 30th, they should be able to have have the numbers out there, which I know the market would love to see. Yes. We so know how many gallons were exempt, and right. we've got to know how many gallons of ethanol they're bringing back in with the next, uh, you know, uh, volume obligation. Yeah, it was made vaguely clear in their statement, I would say. Well, did they give you any numbers? No, no numbers were given. Yeah, I wouldn't even say that's vaguely clear. I'd say that's BS. <laughs> He did say that the president is very insistent that 15 gallons means 15 gallons, billion gallons. 15 billion. Yeah. So I guess that's the number we're throwing around right now over the next three years. I don't know. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me still. Okay. Well, we'll have to just stay tuned, I suppose. More, uh, More waiting. Government yeah. liberty flow. Yes. And since we're... <laughs> I can't repeat whatever word you just made up there, but... <laughs> That, yeah, that there's more of that going on right now because Congress just got back from their two week recess and the Mexican president is already on Nancy Pelosi to get the USMCA agreement passed. Oh, phrasing, phrasing. Come on. What? I don't want to think about anybody on Nancy Pelosi. <laughs> OK, he's already hounding Nancy Pelosi to get the USMCA agreement passed and sent her a letter on Friday explaining to her why this needs to happen, please sign the deal, etc., etc., asking her not to reopen the text and change all that stuff. He said, there's an agreement. I took the opportunity to send Mrs. Pelosi a letter explaining that it's in the interest of all three peoples, the three nations, that this deal is approved. All right, well... Maybe that'll be enough to push her forward, but I, I think as we're heading into an election cycle, uh, both sides, both Republicans and Democrats, are going to be looking for a win, and this USMCA might be the place that they draw some lines in the sand. I think that you are probably right, Mike. Well, it's interesting. You know, we talk about trade deals or lack thereof, and they have global impact. Uh, the economists over at the IMF, the International Monetary Fund, said earlier today that their latest world economic outlook projections show the 2019 GDP growth at 3%, down from 3.2% in July. And they say this is largely due to the, the ongoing tariff battles between the U.S. and China. They note that this is the slowest global growth uh, since the 08-09 financial crisis. But they did say that if the tariffs are rescinded, if trade can normalize, um, they think the growth rate will go right back up to where it should be or where it, where it was before the trade war got started. Okay, well, that's pretty, I guess, good news then that a recession is perhaps not in store for us. 
Right, right. It's just, you know, we're, we, we've got a speed bump here, and if we want global growth to resume, which I think most folks do, then, you know, we hopefully can bring an end to this trade war. That would be much appreciated by most people, I think. Absolutely. Well, I tell you, I am all out of news, Delaney Hell, Do you have much more? I think that I'm out as well, Mike. All right. Well, let's see where the market's closed up. And we've got mixed trade today as we look at the entire complex. We've got red on the screen in the grains. We have a little green on the screen in the meats. And dairy was trading higher earlier in the day. We'll find out where it closed. As we take a look at the corn market, December corn was down four and three quarter cents at 393 even. The March down three and three quarters to close the day at 403 and three quarters. In soybeans, the November contract down six and three quarters cents at 933 and three quarters. The January also dropped six and three quarters to finish at 948 and a quarter. Chicago wheat December contract dropped four pennies, dropped uh, to 507 even today. The March contract down three and a quarter to finish at 513 and a half. Over in livestock, livestock rather, we've got some green and live cows, some red and feeder cattle. December live cattle unchanged on the day at 113.45. February up 27.5 cents, finished at 119.55. In feeders, the November contract unchanged on the day at 146.0750. January down a nickel, dropped to 142.17 and a half. And big moves in the hog market today. December contract limit up, up the daily $3 trading limit to close at 72. 1250 February up a dollar 90 finished the day at 7915 and in dairy we've got the class 3 milk contract October up 2 cents at 1861 and the November up a nickel to finish the day at 1867 it is tech tuesday so let's kick it off to our conversation we had with the folks over at Pattern Ag for today's tech tuesday interview Joined today by Head of Product for Pattern Ag, and that is Cam Norgate. Cam, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us today. Hi, Delaney. Thanks for having me. So, Cam, give us the 10,000-foot view. What is Pattern Ag? Sure. So, so in short, we help farmers predict and prevent losses from row crop pests and disease. Um, and how we do this is by reading the DNA from the farm soil in and around the plants they grow. And uh, that's really what we're, we're doing this season. And it's, it's really a subset of our, our broader goal, which is to understand uh, and eventually influence the, the microbial consortia living in and around um, row crop farms. That sounds really cool, Cam. Tell us how exactly are you are you reading the DNA? Are you going out and and pulling samples and catching bugs and then checking all their DNA? You got it. Uh, it's, it's in you know in simplistic terms, that's that's effectively what we're doing. We go out and we have a we have an end to end service that that will go out and pull samples from in and around the farm, um, and we get those samples back to our lab and are able to to effectively turn that into genetic information. And you know, in a, a single spoon of, of farm soil, there are, are billions of organisms and, and millions of different species um, living in and around there. And we're able to, to read the DNA from all of those different species and paint a, a very rich picture of what is actually going on in and around that farm soil. And you know, I think one of the, the core beliefs we have here at Pattern is that uh, the microbial side of the, the yield equation is is a, a very important part to to that equation and one that has been 
underexplored to date. And, and we're really excited to be able to bring some of the technologies we have um, to bear on that problem and help understand, you know, what are the different bugs that are living in and around that farm soil and how are they influencing uh, your farm outcomes? Uh, and so that's, that's really what we're about. Absolutely. We've been hearing a lot just within the last year or two about the microbial scene. And I want to come back to that. But Cam, tell me first, when if I'm a producer and I'd like Pattern Ag to use their services on my operation, let's say I have five different fields. Are you going out then and collecting one sample from every field, five samples from every field? How do you determine that sample size? Yeah, it's a great question. And, and the short answer is that it, it, we determine it field by field. We, we target roughly a, a 10 acre density um, as we found that that's usually the right density to characterize the different environments of that field. Um, so it's, it's really about understanding, you know, what are those different environments in that field? Where are the, the low elevation points and the low yield points? Where are those, those high elevation points and the different yield outcomes that we're seeing across the field? And once we understand that, um, we can then go develop a targeted plan for a given field. And that's really how we, we operate is, you know, step one, uh, once a farmer decides they want to work with us, uh, we'll sit down and look at their past uh, past farming data um, to understand you know, what they planted, what their yields were, and where they've seen uh, you know, certain issues or areas of interest. And from that, we'll build a plan to, to really develop a, a, a subfield view as to what's happening in that field from a microbial perspective. Now, once you have the DNA on file of a specific thing, can, can you just completely return to that again and again, or do you have to, to do the DNA testing on every single thing out of every single sample? Um, so, so not sure I fully get the question, but, but I think what you're saying is, well, maybe, maybe repeat it. <laughs> yeah. So like right. you're out in corn and soybean fields, and of course you're going mm -hmm. to see a yeah. lot of the same pests in so many different fields. You're not running a yeah. DNA test on a pest that you've already tested before, are you? Or do, does each pest have its own, you know, uh, unique DNA that you can target? Right, right. So this is the, the beauty and the magic of, of the technology that we're bringing to bear on this problem in that we take one soil sample, and from one soil sample, we can detect all of the organisms living in there, okay? So that includes all of the pathogenic pests that might be in your field. Uh, it also includes all of the beneficial microbes that are are playing a number of different roles uh, to help with plant health and productivity from nutrient fixation to nutrient cycling, resource acquisition, um, and even help with, with you know, pathogen suppression and things like that. So we pick all of them up. And this is, this is the, the beauty of the technology is that we literally from one sample can tell you all the different microbes that are living there. And we have you know, a, a marker for each of these different microbes so we know when we see them um, in that particular sample, if that makes sense. Gotcha. Okay, I think that makes sense. So you collect the soil samples, you go back to your labs and you analyze them. From there, what is the next step? Are you giving specific recommendations to the growers or do you just turn over their data to them and say, here's some information to share with your trusted advisors? What's that next phase look like? Yeah, so so as you alluded to, this is very much you know the, the early innings of understanding this microbial world and and we feel it's really important to help understand what those insights are telling you. And so we have our, our regional managers uh, throughout the Midwest uh, that work with the farmer and their advisors to review the results of our analysis 
and the insights that, that we're coming up with and then help to translate that into actions uh, on the farm. And for us, really, if we're not able to, to help influence or make better decisions on the farm, then, then we don't feel like we've done our job. And so that's really a key part of the, the overall offering it, to tie it all together is once we come back with the results, we sit down, talk about what we're seeing. We talk about how, how what we see on your particular fields compares to other fields in the region and across the country um, and what that might mean for your, your plans in the upcoming season. Um, so you might want to make different decisions with respect to inputs, um, with respect to your crop protection, and different ways you manage your field. Now, Cam, you mentioned we're in the early innings here. How long has Pattern been around? How, many, how long have you been working with uh, some of your growers? Yep, great question. So, so I, with a few of my co-founders, started Pattern in 2018. Uh, prior to that, I had spent uh, about seven years at, at Climate Fieldview. So I've been in the, the digital and technology side of ag for a while, um, but started out last year uh, on Pattern as I got together with a few folks who are really deep in, in the genetic space, and we kind of came together um, to, to kind of find the seed of this idea. Um, so we've been working uh, for, for over a year now uh, with our, our farmers. Last year in 2018, we had a groundbreaker year with the select target farms. And this year in 2019, uh, fall 2019, we've launched our, our first commercial offering um, and are out there in market today uh, serving farmers with what we call our, our pathogen risk report. And this is a, a report that through our analysis, we, we come back with a, a full detail of all the soil-borne pathogens uh, you might see in and around a, a given farm. And so that includes everything from insects to nematodes, foliar disease, root rots, seedling rots, stock rots. We can pick up all of those uh, with our, our single test. And, and the service we're running today for, for fall 2019 is focused on that. And looking at Pattern Ag's website, I see you have a tab for farmers, but you also have one for advisors. So for those folks that maybe fill in more of the agronomy role or the seed and fertilizer role, do you also work with those folks to help implement the system on their farmers' operations? Absolutely. And as I'm sure you guys know, farming is a team sport and and no one's working in isolation. And, and oftentimes there are many many different folks that are helping with key decisions on the farm. Uh, and, and we recognize that this layer of data, this layer of insight we're bringing to the table is, is one of many key, key things that go into the, the farming decisions that are made throughout the season. So we need to be working with the farmer and their trusted advisors. Um, and so certainly, you know, as different advisors are interested in, in engaging with this sort of information, um, we certainly would coordinate and, and work with them as well. Now, let's talk about kind of the, the long-term picture. As you guys get better data, you keep improving the technology that allows you to, to capture this data, what do you see the, the main benefits being to growers across the Midwest? I mean, are we going to be able to target enough pathogens in such a way and so specifically that we can wipe them out? Yeah, I don't think we'll ever you know, necessarily wipe out the pathogens. Um, you know, on the, the specific pathogen report analysis, uh, we, we see that continuing to evolve to the point where we can understand uh, your risks and help you really tailor a plan to protect your, your crop. Um, now, I, I think really of what we're doing at Pattern is, is more expansive than just understanding the, the pathogen side of things. As, as I kind of alluded to, the, the whole beneficial side of plant health and productivity and, and its ties to the microbial uh, consortia within a field is, is also really, really critical and important. And I think Actually, the long-term vision of, of where we're going with this is that we'd love to be able to 
you know, enhance and improve the productivity and the full potential of the fields that we work with um, by helping to to improve and amend um, the soil, the field, and the microbial consortia over time. Uh, and that will definitely have impacts on, you know, suppressing pest pressure and making sure you have the right plans and protections in place. Um, but it will also impact the, the ability to have the, the right beneficial microbes in your soil, um, doing the things that you need to help with nutrient cycling, nutrient acquisition, all of that good stuff. Absolutely. It's going to be quite a change for the industry. Cam, before we let you go, please let our listeners know how they can find out more information about Pattern Ag. Yeah, perfect. So you, you mentioned that we've got our website, which is www.pattern.ag, so pattern.ag. Uh, if you want to find us on the socials, we're on Twitter at patternag, all one word. Uh, and if you want to reach out to me directly, I, I love to, to connect with folks who are interested in this, this aspect of, of the ag space. Um, you can get me on Twitter anytime uh, at Cam Norgate, T-A-M Norgate, N-O-R-G-A-T-E. Awesome. Well, Cam, we certainly appreciate your time today. Thanks so much for joining us. Perfect. Thanks very much. Appreciate it. All right. Well, thanks, Cam, for filling us in on Pattern Ag. Listeners, if you want to get caught up on any of the past technological innovators that we have interviewed on the Ag News Daily podcast, head to our website. Just go to agnewsdaily.com. Tune in there. You can catch all of our hashtag Tech Tuesday episodes. And we want to hear from you on social media. Just look us up on Facebook, on Twister, on Twitter. What am I saying? So my, my head went to Tinder, and we're not on Tinder, but you can find us on Twitter uh, at Ag News Daily or on Instagram. We're Ag News Daily in all those places. Be sure to check us out. With all that, right. Delaney, should we let the people go? <laughs> Let's let them go.